Welcome to Why Sew, the podcast where some of your favorite sewing personalities and rising stars share what motivates them to create using needle and thread. I'm your host, Jason Prater, and with me today is Carrie Jewell, designer, pattern designer, quilter. I could probably say a lot of other things anyway. I'm really excited to get to speak with Carrie today. So, hey, Carrie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, man, it feels like it's been half a lifetime since I've seen you anywhere. I think it was 2018, maybe, fall market. Yeah, either 2018 or 2019. Probably was I don't know. All the years run together. <laughs> I'm telling you, it feels like a lifetime ago since uh, March of 2020 when craziness hit our world, right? Right. Well, hopefully we'll get back uh, to some sanity here this year. One can only hope. <laughs> I, I am seeing a few shows here and there popping back up. That's a good thing. People yes. are starting to be face-to-face again. This is this is good for our business, right? Absolutely. Since uh, people are creative, you kind of have to touch and feel. There's only so much you can do online. I know that the virtual world has exploded, but at the same time, I think, you know, maybe people get tired of that, especially in a tactile industry like ours. Yes. Yeah. It's good when you know exactly what you need, but when you need to be inspired, you just need to be inspired in person. Yeah, I agree 100%. So, you know, before we go too far and I jump right in and start hitting you with all these tough questions... Maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm sure some of our audience know you, but for those that don't, uh, tell them who you are. I am Carrie Jewell. I've been quilting since 1991, I think. Wow. So 30 plus years. I started when I was pregnant with my, really with my second child. Um, although I think we did make a quilt for my first child. It may not have ever gotten finished. My mom and I tried something and I think we didn't like it. So we didn't go any farther with it. But by the time I was having my my second child, I, I wanted a quilt that would match the fabric that I had in his room. Um, and a monster was created. I had a <laughs> friend who came over. She had taken a class. Um, in one of the places we had been stationed, she came over with a rotary cutter and a mat and a ruler and said, somehow you can strip piece things. So I didn't have any patterns. I didn't realize there were quilt patterns. I thought everybody just sat down with graph paper and figured out what they wanted. (laughs) So I don't know that I ever saw a quilt pattern until... We moved back to the States in 97. Wow. So I was kind of an out-of-the-box thinker to begin with. I mean, I knew there were clothing patterns and I I sewed clothing. But otherwise, I just kind of made it up by myself, figured it out. That's fantastic. So, uh, yeah, obviously quilting is is kind of the thing you're known for, I guess. But before we started this recording, we were talking about some other stuff that you like. So, I mean, would you consider yourself a sewist, a seamstress, crafter, omni-crafter? I mean, when you present yourself, how do you describe your sewing personality? I, I say I'm crafty. Crafty. Okay. Because, you know, I I do have a cricket and I've got it to cut EPP pieces, but I use it way more for other things. Usually my daughter wants a t-shirt for, she teaches little kids. So there's usually some shirt she's seen. Mom, can you make it? Uh-huh. <laughs> so I do everything, but I, I started off as a hand quilter. I was, I don't know, self-imposed that it wasn't a real quilt unless it was hand quilted. Oh, a traditionalist a, view, right? Yes. I, and I don't think anybody ever told me that. That was just the way I felt. But piecing was a means to an end. I loved hand quilting. I loved the hand part of the process. Um, and piecing was just something I had to do in order 
to get it to the point where I could hand quilt and so all, have that, a- all that cutting and measuring and angles and calculations. That wasn't your deal, huh? Uh, I was always good in math, so it didn't bother me, but it wasn't the fun part at that at that point. Um, by the time, so when I started quilting, we were living in Florida and my husband was in flight school and then we ended up stationed overseas and I spent six and a half years overseas. Oh, wow. Um, Where where were you guys? We were in Okinawa for four and a half years and then in Cuba for two. Wow. So we were out of the U.S., it was before the internet. Um, you know, I didn't have access to fabric. I had access to sheets. Wow. If I was making something, whether it was curtains or quilts or what, I was looking at sheets. Wow. And anytime that we would come back to the States, then I would buy as much fabric as I could possibly afford and hope that it would work for whatever I decided I I wanted to do. I did not have a huge stash. I bought just enough to do, you know, one or two projects. Did you ever mingle with the local quilting community where you might've picked up on? There was not really a local quilting community. (laughs) I had a friend that I taught to quilt and she ended up becoming a business partner when we moved to the States. And we always joked that I taught her to quilt, but she taught me how to do it right. Um, (laughs) She moved back to the States before I did and took classes. So when we ended up stationed together again, then she passed on her knowledge. And I had a Marsha McCluskey, I think a nine and a half inch block, but just all these nine and a half inch blocks. And I would um, that was the first patterns I was exposed to. And I would sit and make blocks and one at a time until I perfected whatever that block happened to have, you know, take it apart three times and, and it's done, cut, cut it, start over again. Wow. Um, until, you know, and I, I just, I had several sample quilts that, were just me teaching myself how to do things again. I, I it just, seems so daunting to me. But when you break it down to one block at a time, it wasn't. Okay. It was okay. I'm going to sit down, you know, while the kids are at school today, and this is the block I'm going to do. I'm, I, you know, I picked a color palette, and I had, you know, plenty of white fabric for my background, and you know the colors that probably matched something in my house at that time and just made blocks from it. That's fantastic. Now you, you mentioned something before we got started recording and then you mentioned it again after that you also do EPP. Can you explain that to our listeners? I know what EPP stands for, but <laughs> I'm not sure everybody else does. And it's English. Pretty- paper piecing it is done by hand so you know here in the states in the newspaper you used to have these patterns that they would print and you would cut them out of cardboard and you would trace and then you would stitch on the lines and sew all your blocks together by hand for those that didn't have sewing machines or whatever. English paper piecing, you still have cardstock shapes, but you're wrapping the fabric around it and gluing it to those shapes and sewing it together with a whip stitch that's really close. And to me, it's much more accurate than the drawing a quarter inch line and trying to sew it by Mm. hand with a a running stitch. And I, I love the precision that you can get with English paper piecing there. You can fussy cut, um, amazing designs and, and get kaleidoscope looks by the designs that are in your fabric, but you can get the most amazing looks out of a piece of fabric that you never would imagine that you would get that look out of. Um, And I have several different 
English paper piecing patterns. I love those because I can carry around a block and sew it together. And then it I can applique it to the background. And that makes things, you know, that makes a hand sewn quilt go very quickly when you can sew your block to a background and applique it. And then you take all the papers out and it's perfect. That's that's a pretty darn good description of English paper piecing. <laughs> well, <laughs> sounds and, sounds awfully fussy to me, but what well, do I there know? There are designs that include the background while you're sewing, but to me that that takes longer when you're in, when you're sewing the entire block versus a motif that goes on a block. Ah, obviously, you've done a lot of quilting. You, you told us when you started quilting, but if I take you way back. What is that? Is that your first memory of sewing in general, or, or was there a history before that where you were first exposed to sewing, and, and what was that like? So, first exposure to handwork was my mother um, tracing X's onto fabric for a cross stitch look on regular, so embroidery. Okay. Um, and she would sew and embroider our clothes. I, ha- I remember a fabulous pair of pants that she made me. Now, granted, this was the 70s. So, you know, it was <laughs> totally okay to have a pair of embroidered pants. Um, and so she did handwork and taught me, you know, the following the design. Um, my great grandmother quilted before I knew her and I did not know that she quilted until after she died. Um, and it was, there were always quilts on the bed, but they were just referred to as blankets. So it, it wasn't something that I had a connection to. So I didn't know, I knew granny had made them. I just didn't know them as quilts. And that was, it wasn't, it wasn't a piece of art. Correct. It was, it was, it was utility quilts. So then mom did handwork, but also sewed clothing. And so I remember cutting out Barbie doll clothes. My job became the one that would, was the best at getting all the pieces in the least amount of fabric. Um, so she would sew and it wasn't necessarily that we wanted to sew with her um, until I stayed with my grandmother um, for a summer when I was 14 and she was a seamstress um, just made she was the first person I ever knew that had a sewing room and she had converted her dining room into a sewing room. <laughs> um, and she decided that summer, my grandfather was going through chemo. Um, so I was there to help grandma. And what grandma did was she taught me to sew. So I made several skirts. And I remember her saying, good Lord, child, I hope you don't drive the way you sew because we're in for a lot of tickets. <laughs> so you just wanted to be fast? Is that what I, is that what and I mean? Yes, I I was not acquainted with the go slow method. It was pedal to the metal. <laughs> um, and when she died, I got her sewing machine. So when That's I got married, memory. that was the sewing machine that I used. How cool is that? So the what was the first thing that you remember making? With your grandmother, what and how, how, how did it turn out? It was a purple circle skirt, and I have a picture of me sitting with my cousin in my skirts that I made. That's fantastic. <laughs> so, and I always, always kind of get into this because most of the people I talk to, I feel like are probably about my same age. And was was this something that uh, you were proud of, and and sort of around your friends, like they were. Like, what? You sew? That's so um, cool. Or were they like, sewing? What What are you doing? What is that? It was commonplace. I went to a Christian school where we wore uniforms that had to be sewn. Oh, so it was okay. not a big deal 
at all. I didn't get to wear my skirts to school. Um, because like I said, we had other uniforms that we had to make. I remember there being a red jumper, a blue jumper and a plaid dress. And so you could, uh, we had certain days that you wore red, certain days you wore blue. And on Wednesdays we wore plaid. (laughs) (laughs) So while the rest of the world was wearing pink on Wednesdays, we were wearing plaid. There was, there was, uh, there was no possibility of distinguishing yourself through your creative style. I went to a very, very small Christian school. There were 30 kids in the whole school. I was one of two seniors the year I graduated. That's fantastic. Too cool. That This was in North Carolina? This was actually in Texas. In Texas. Um, okay. In Central Texas. I grew up in um, a town called Temple. Okay. Which is kind of halfway between Waco and Austin. Okay. Cool. So you went from North Carolina back home now. So you're kind of back home in Texas. Yes, I am. But my, my grandmother, um, and my, my dad was raised in North Carolina, um, in Charlotte. So North Carolina has always been close to my heart. And the fact that I lived there for 20 odd years, you know, made, I actually lived in North Carolina for longer than I lived. No, maybe about the same amount of time. I think that I lived in, in Texas. So it, it has been really nice to be able to come back and say, oh, no, I live in Texas. That's where I belong. <laughs> yeah. It's always nice to go back home. It is. It is. So, um, so- but coming back in a, pandi- a pandemic just means I sit, sat at home. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were in Texas. It wasn't quite as bad there, right? <laughs> Well, we have more wide open spaces. I will say that <laughs> they would be the um, last to adapt, adapt to wearing masks and the first ones to get rid of it. <laughs> um, but I work um, now in a hospital, so masks are still a thing. Absolutely. Always. Yeah. So what do you love to sew? Yeah, we talked about lots of quilting. We talked about it in the audience didn't necessarily get to hear our pre-conversation regarding where you are in your quilting journey right now, but what what, what is right the thing that you love to I'm sew? I'm passionate about hand embroidery and not necessarily traditional stitches. I'm going to be throwing in any kind of fiber, any kind of beading, um, and mixing it with traditional stitches and, um, you know, cool things that I see in reels on Instagram, like, Oh, that's cool. Let me try and insert that. I've been, um, pattern testing for a really good friend of mine that is doing a a different design every month for embroidery. And she has been awesome. And, giving me the freedom to not just do the stitches that she recommends, but to make it mine. And, um, I, I still love all the rainbow colors in the world, but my house is more neutral. So I've been doing a lot of the designs in a more neutral color palette to just help give people a different way to look at things, which has always been my, my goal. It doesn't have to be done exactly this way. This is just a jumping off point for your creativity. Very cool. So what led you back to, to hand embroidery? And, and is that something that you feel like is a trend? It's, it's coming it back. Like there's a lot of more to be coming back right now. And what got me into it was in December of 2020, I spent Christmas and all the way through New Year's in the hospital for congestive heart failure. Oh, wow. And so there's only so much Netflix you can watch and play games on your phone before you're like, okay, I need to do something. Well, I could have been doing English paper piecing, but that leads to quilts. 
and I didn't really have a need for any quilts right now. I have several EPP projects that are waiting, partially finished, but who wants to go and work on what are now UFOs? Um, <laughs> I want to do something new. And I was decorating my apartment and I really wanted to do some handwork to hang on my walls. And I did a piece that I absolutely love that is all different dandelions. Oh, cool. Um, and just, you know, some of them may be real dandelions. I think there are some Queen Anne's lace and, and different things, but I wanted to play with the beads. I wanted to play with different embellishments. I wanted to use some of my grandmother, my great-grandmother's buttons that I had inherited oh, for wow. like the centers of the flowers. And um, I did a couple of pieces for um, friends, my best friend. Um, I took things that um, were important over, uh, we've been friends since 97, 98, I don't know. We a long time. Um, and our husbands were best friends when they were in the military together. And um, so there's a lot of history. And so I hand embroidered the pieces, but then embellished it by tucking like an old key. Her husband had gone to Germany and he's like, what do you want me to bring you back? I'm like something antique. And he brought me these a ring of, of these rusty old keys, not at the big old keys. Yeah. So I tucked one of those in and then there was a, a mermaid tail because her husband has a thing for, for mermaids and, um, you know, tucked a, a little cross in because when we had decorated her house, she has an old Catholic Bible in a little vignette and we searched everywhere looking for like metal crosses before they were popular. <laughs> um, I've always decorating, always been a step ahead of the trend. So we searched all over Virginia Beach looking for wall embellishments with these crosses. And so I, you know, I, I stitched one in. And so it tells a story. Um, awesome. I like things that tell a story. Um, I did a piece for my sister. Again, we grew up here in Texas and she misses it. She lives in Indiana now. And so I did a piece of the shape of Texas with then she wanted um, blue bonnets and Indian paintbrushes and different things that reminded her of home and just finding ways to. That's super cool. That's always one of the questions that I, I like to ask uh, regarding making handmade gifts and, and giving those to people and what that means to both the maker and the person receiving the gift. And, yeah. and uh, so you, you kind of beat me to the punch there. Ah, well, um, I'm working on a piece right now. Um, just started last night. That is for my mother using the pins that my grandparents collected over the years. So I have my grandfather's pen from Santa Fe. He worked for Santa Fe Railroad um, mm. his life. I've got, he then volunteered at the local hospital. And so I've got his 100 hour pen, his 500 hour pen and his wow. 2000 hour pen. 2000 um, hours. Yes. 2000 hours volunteer work. I've got pens. Um, my grandmother was breast cancer survivor as well. So I've got some of her breast cancer pens. I've got her red hat pens. So I'm doing, again, another shape of Texas because my grandparents lived here and a floral design working in some of the blue bonnets and, and yellow roses because... Texas, and then um, working those pins into the centers of, of those flowers. And some will be realistic looking colored flowers and some will be, you know, whatever, because my mother gives me artistic license to do whatever I want. <laughs> 
because she's my mama and she does that. (laughs) (laughs) What a special gift that'll be for her, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. So you obviously now using needle and thread by hand quite often, but what are what are some of your favorite tools or notions or products that have become, you know, your I can't live without items? Well, I can't live without my sulky petites. And I I have all of them because you just never know what you're going to need. So you might as well get all of them and not have to keep going back and getting onesie twosies. And because of that, they come in the nice slimline cases. So there's my my sulky plug. And <laughs> I <laughs> well, and on that note, the stick and stitch is life-changing because those of us who are creative, you know how we have one idea, but by the time we get to the end, maybe we've changed <laughs> something along the way. The nice thing with the Solvi is I don't have, you know, used to, I would use my light box by daylight, which I absolutely love and draw it onto the fabric, but then you have to follow those lines because they don't go away. Right. And you can use the fiction friction pins or the blue pins, but I've just never had great result with that. Being able to take anything I want and copy it onto that stick and stitch is amazing. I can follow which lines I want and then it washes away. And everybody, if you're going to do anything by hand, definitely keep some salt, uh, the stick and stitch on hand. I, if I'm doing English paper piecing, I want the tulip size 10 milliners needles. They are thinner than any other needle on the market. They're hard to thread, but they make the most invisible stitches in the Mm. world. Let's see, what else is a must have? I usually have my Femore snips. Mm -hmm. I've got the oil slick ones. I think they're from the Tulipink collection, but they're made by Femore Cutlery. And I love the little snips. And then most likely if I'm sewing, because again, we talked that I've not really been in a sewing machine, sewing mood, but if I'm (laughs) sewing, my fabric stash is almost all Allison glass fabric because I love her range of color, which has been hard since my house is in a neutral (laughs) color. (laughs) How do you reconcile that, Carrie? I have my sewing room is still rainbow. So (laughs) that's where (laughs) I try to contain all the rainbow in just that one room, but I have a lot. So it's hard. That's fantastic. Um, Well, we haven't, we haven't really talked a whole lot about your business life in sewing. Of course, you've mentioned your lifelong, seems like lifelong friend, And I know that friendship led to a business. Tell us a little bit about that. So that's, that's actually two different friends. Ah. Uh, So the friend that was my business partner, I actually bought her out at about three years because her husband retired and they moved away. And it's just really hard to share a workload when you're not together. And, and there wasn't a good way to split that. So I bought her out. And we started that company in 2001. Um, I think I, I remember mailing out one of our first orders on, on around September 11th. Oh, wow. Now this was two, two quick quilters. Two quick quilters. And I kept that name until 2018, even though there was just one quick quilter. Uh, (laughs) Because in that three years, we had established a a large following up and down the eastern seaboard because we had gone to quilt shows and demoed our patterns. And and mostly that was me because I tend to talk a lot. So, (laughs) 
and I didn't want to change the name because people wouldn't know how to find me. Um, and I resisted changing it until 2018. And I thought, okay, enough people know who I am. I can change it. I don't think people really realize the problem, if you will, is being with a distributor rather than having the customers that call me directly. My direct contact customers have no problem finding my newer patterns. The people who go through a distributor don't realize there are new patterns under a different name. It's not linked as as well you know, people are busy. There are always new patterns. You don't see things. How did you go from, you know, this hobby and fun thing with your friend to deciding to make a business? What, what, what led to that decision? So we were using a technique that nobody else had out at that time was, um, you would now refer to it, um, other quilters will refer to it like a stack and slash. So you take a 12-inch square of fabric and you make a a stack of 12 of them and you rotary cut through all of them at the same time and you shuffle it and you sew it back together and you get um, these crazy quilt blocks. And it's fast and easy and it was perfect for beginners. I mean, we taught the class for kids for years because it's very forgiving. You trim it down to size once you're done sewing. So it didn't matter if you had perfected your quarter of an inch or you were taking half inch seams. The worst thing in the world that would happen is you wouldn't get a nine and a half inch block when you were done. Maybe you got a nine inch block. Maybe you got an eight and a half. So you end up with perfect results every time, which helps build confidence. It was and still is a great pattern for shops that are trying to move, you know, Moda, they do 30 designs in a line and you're going, okay, so what can we use all those fabrics for? You know, this is a great way to get all those different fabrics. I mean, let's face it, all of us became quilters because we we're tactile people. Yeah. We love the the fabric. So you've got all this fabric. What do you do with it once you've got it home? How can I showcase the fabric? So we had our first pattern and everybody kept saying, you've got to write it. You've got to write it. Because we were we were teaching it. We were drawing everything by hand for a master copy in the class. And and so it was the local guild really pushing us and everywhere that we had taught in the area going, you really need to write this as a pattern. And so we originally had 12 or 16 patterns that follow that stack and slash technique. And then we kind of went to, we did some fat quarter patterns because everybody wanted things to use fat quarters for. Mm -hmm. And, and then it just, then it became, you know, mostly whatever I was, interested in doing you know sometimes I tried to use half yards some of it was driven by you know a couple of fabric companies that I work for you know we've got this line what can you make out of it well I can make a bag I can half a yard of five fabrics and make a bag and you know have to write the pattern for the shops to then sell the fabric (laughs) now would you say would you say that that uh business venture, which, I mean, obviously you're still in that same business today. Would you say that was a, an instant success or was it a long, tough slog? Both. It is a lot of work, but we had, like I said, we had a technique that was easy to demonstrate and going to shows really saturated our area on the East Coast and made it So, you know, somebody who was visiting the East Coast came to the show and took it back to their shop that was maybe in the mid part of the U.S. And we got, we were doing great until the downturn, the market in like 2008. And that it just didn't seem to pick back up to that pre-2008 point. And then it was a real slog. 
So, you know, it's just sometimes it goes great. I love Instagram because those are my people. Yeah. They get it. And, um, and they do take their, you know, Hey, I saw this, you should order this pattern. I can teach it. (laughs) here, And then a lot of shop owners are on here as well. So you've been in this industry now for, for quite some time. (laughs) Have there been any influential people or, or, or certain people you know, that you have admired uh, along the way are people that have helped you in some way in your journey. I mean, this, this industry is full of so many strong women, uh, especially, but uh, I mean, also a lot of men that have been in the industry a long time, but especially women who have really created great businesses, you being one of those. Uh, was anybody really influential and in, in helping you along the way? No, I didn't know anybody until I got on Instagram. One of my favorite people is Allison Glass. I know her personally. You know, I've hung out with her and helped her, you know, pack patterns, to cut fabrics. I've anytime because she was located in the Virginia Hamptons area when I would go and see my best friend in Virginia Beach. It always involved a couple of days of, hey, Allison, do you need some help with anything? And so I've sewn samples for her. One of her very first lines, I was working with Andover and Daryl Cohen there. I knew her when she was with a different fabric company. And so we have a very strong friendship. And she's like, hey, we need something from market here's this fabric line and the fabric line she sent me was Allison's and it was awesome. And it was before Allison really had many patterns and, and she actually took that quilt with her in her trunk shows for a while. Nice. So then when, you know, she really started doing the sunprint collections of all the rainbow colors every year, diehard fan, she, every color, I love small scale saturated prints and Allison does them. Some of Tula Pink's background fabrics fit that and go very well with Allison's stuff as well. And I used to buy just any rainbow I could find in a, in a small scale print until I realized that really I just use Allison. So let's put on <laughs> all the other stuff because I found what, soothes my soul in that desire to have that saturated color. Because for me and the designs that I do, it's much more about the color than it is the print that's on it. I just, I don't want to work with solids. I want it to have some movement. Yeah. And Allison is a a designing genius. She really is. That's Um, awesome. But like I mentioned, Daryl Cohen, we, she, when she was with the other fabric company, she was the one that would say, here, I have this fabric line. Can you make some bags? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I need bags for market. I need bags for going on the road. That was the inspiration. I used to have an entire line of bag patterns that were 100% inspired by here, I need you to do something, do it fast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then when, um, on the day that I found out I had breast cancer in, um, 2013, I called Daryl to, because it was March and I knew she would be wanting stuff for market in May. I called her to say, Hey, look, we've had a detour. Mm. And um, I don't know what I'm going to be available to do was the day that she told me, hey, look, I start Monday with Andover. (laughs) Um, And I'm like, well, you need to get on Instagram. Um, So the reason Daryl Cohen is on Instagram is because of me. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And, you know, that French, I mean, she and... um, Giuseppe um, were the face of Andover and 
all kinds of great stuff. Uh, I can't say enough about Andover. They have been an awesome company to work with. But little known secret here. Do you want to know who sponsored me the very first time I ever reached out for something when I went to market the very first time? Who was that? Bulky. (laughs) Um, Love it. That was in, I think, 2005 was my first market that I went to. I don't even know his name. Older gentleman, beard. Fred Fred Drexler. Met him. Founding partner. Met him. um, The next market, I wanted to do schoolhouse. And I reached out because I was using Sulky Blendables. Our 30 weight is my favorite for quilting. If I'm going to do the quilting, which I avoid at all costs. (laughs) I have fabulous, fabulous quilting friends that quilt for me most of the time so that I don't have to. Because once I've picked out the fabric, the fun is over for me. I don't, I, sometimes I enjoy the sewing, but not really. Really, I just want to pick out the fabrics. I want to tell you what the project is. Um, so I, I enjoy designing the project, love picking out the fabrics, and then I'm over it. I want it done. <laughs> Time to hand it off to somebody else and it start over. It is. Um, Something new. But, but Sulky sponsored me every single time I ever asked. That's awesome. Um, and happy I to do it. introduced people to Sulky Blendables, which I think uh, even in the petites, the blended ones are my favorite to use because I love the subtle color change. That's fantastic. So is there something you've, you've been switching gears here to doing handwork is there some other kind of technique that's kind of on your uh, bucket list of sewing that you haven't tried some something that you would like to do that you haven't done or haven't done much of i have never done machine embroidery i have not ever had a machine that does the machine embroidery and by the time we moved back to the states my daughter was past the age that I would have embroidered things for her. And she's picky. She didn't want to wear anything I made anyway. Um, (laughs) Although until she was two, that was pretty much all she wore was what I made. But whatever. Darn kids have the mind of their own. I now have a two and a half month old granddaughter. So I can see the potential. I don't know that I will ever actually bite the bullet and go down the the machine embroidery it's a whole nother it's a whole nother rabbit hole that's for sure it is but i had done when my daughter was small i had done some smocking so again i just i I love any of the hand things that i can do Love it. Love it. So what are you, what are you working on right now? Are you sewing anything for yourself right now, personally? For myself? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> I have a piece. I just put up a poll on my Instagram. Um, I'm planning on doing a giveaway in the coming months. And I'm asking if I was doing a giveaway, would you rather have it in neutrals or in rainbows? Um, rainbow colors, meaning full color as opposed to what some people would say is boring, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, because most of my followers, you know, followed me during my, my rainbow color love, my saturated colors love, you know, I'm like, if I do a go, go giveaway, do you want it in neutrals or do you want it in saturated? So are, are you able to share the results of that poll with us? What, what was I the... literally put it up right before our call. So mm. I don't know what the results are. Well, that'll be fun to know. Um, but I think I'm going to join another friend that does really cool earrings. And I think we're going to do a giveaway together because she doesn't have much of a following. She's new. And it's a great way for me to help a friend uh, in doing a giveaway together. 
Um, A lot of the pieces I've been um, pattern testing for Sarah Thomas. She's also known as Sarah Diddy, and she is also a Selkie user, I believe. Um, But uh, she's also an RFL person. But I've we'll, f- doing- we'll forgive her. It's okay. I know. I know. She has a lot. But um, I've got a really good one of my former bosses with Daylight now is an RFL rep. So, yes. Give Eddie heck for me next time you see him. Yes. I will. But, you know, he's sending he- me thread too. So, <laughs> he's um, a good friend. We like he Eddie. Yes. Eddie and his girls are adorable. Are they? They are copy and paste of him, though. I hope they start looking like their mama because <laughs> Eddie is not a pretty girl. Bless his heart. Um, but the pieces I've been testing for Sarah Thomas, I've been trying to do them in the neutral colors so that I can keep them. So that's kind of for me. Okay. But really, cool. I get such pleasure out of giving that I, I really don't keep a lot for yeah. myself. And, and, you know, I've got the pieces that are my trunk shows and, and that kind of thing, but pieces that I just create just for me, I don't have as many. I'm trying for the handwork ones to come up, at, you know, to keep more of them and have a display wall. Nice. So what about when you're not sewing? What, what might we find Carrie doing outside of sewing for fun? For fun. Hmm. I'm probably decorating. I love to decorate. So it's hand in hand daughter, with that design. It is desire to design. Exactly. So when my daughter is off of work, as she we generally go shopping because she wants to change something around. Nice. She has more space than I do. So, you know, it's that that vicarious. <laughs> experience and living through her um, <laughs> and getting her to buy the things that I would buy if I had a place for it. Yeah. Well, that's cool. You get to do that with her. How nice. Um, I am so fortunate that she allows me to live close nice. because that was the whole reason I moved to Texas just <laughs> to stay close to one of my kids. My yeah. boys are out in the West coast. So they're a little farther away and it's expensive to live there. Yeah, no doubt about that. So I always try to end this podcast with um, this one question that I've always kind of said as an industry that we're really not selling thread and fabric and notions, but what, what we're really all selling is this kind of feeling of accomplishment uh, and satisfaction that one can get from creating. Do you believe that? And, and and if you agree with that, how has that feeling manifested itself in your sewing journey? I absolutely believe that. Um, there is a tremendous feeling of, I hate to say pride because People put a negative connotation on. Don't pride. let them do that. Pride is not a bad thing in uh, that context. <laughs> but to be able to have even a few of my great grandmother's quilts, I want my great grandchildren to have pieces of me. Mm. Um, and and I want that, so when I make something for anyone, whether you know, it's one of my kids' best friends that's having a baby. So I'm making them a baby quilt. I'm giving pieces of myself mm. to every person that I've I've made something for, whether it's, you know, done by hand with like the embroidery or done by machine, whether it is, you know, something I've done on the cricket. Uh, it's, that's how I send that, that love. That's me. I've thought of you every stitch along the way. And that's a piece of me I'm giving. Wow. Yeah. There's a certain emotional attachment there that is hard to explain to anyone who doesn't have a hobby or a 
a thing where they create or, you know, any kind of creative outlet, whether it's sewing or, or otherwise, but I, I know within the sewing community, it's just something that I hear over and over and over. And you see it sort of on display with all of the things that people in the sewing community do from a volunteer aspect and a um, giving aspect, a charitable aspect in their communities, whether it's, you know, making quilts for children or for veterans or pillowcases for them. I mean, there's just so many right. things you can go on and on. Quilts of Valor, all of these great organizations. It's it's so evident within our industry that there's more to it than just the stuff. It's, yes. It's what goes into the stuff that, that matters the most. So, yeah, you put that really, really well with... Uh, giving away a piece of you each time. I think that's a pretty good way to to explain it. And I, I want, you know, uh, quilts are meant to be used, so they may be in pieces. <laughs> Well-loved. Yeah. That's, that's a hug from me every time you use a quilt. I love it. Well, Carrie, if our listeners want to learn more about you, should they visit Carrie? jewel.com k-a-r-i-e-j-e-w-e-l-l.com yes absolutely fantastic so if you want to know more about carrie that's the website to go to she has fabric patterns all sorts of fun stuff that um, she has available for you and uh, more about her story as well so carrie thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today it was a joy to get to talk to you again and to see your face after two and a half years yes probably rounder than you know it was before because Uh, you know covid (laughs) uh, yeah the covid effect yes that has happened to me as well we're all a little grayer we're all a little rounder (laughs) well thank you so much again and we look forward to seeing you on the road here soon thank you Again, I love Sol- and love uh, Sulky. It's you've got a place in my heart forever. <laughs> well, we appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to Why So with Sulky. Give us a rating or a review, and be sure to shop your favorite Sulky products, including threads, stabilizers, kits, and more, at sulky.com.